that you don't have yourself that you are surrounded by all the luxuries there is nothing more to be added to it but who are you what would you give up for enlightenment would you become celibate leave your wealth behind and maybe offer mindless obedience to your leader for many that's what their image of enlightenment is that's what's required in order for you to be accepted no more worldly temptations no more fun more like it however this isn't what was required of the rajneeshas or those who followed the religion of rajneeshpuram named for the leader bhagwan shri rajneesh later called osho their organization did believe in wealth and sex and a lot of both if sex becomes fun prostitutes will disappear from the world there is no need that's not to say they idolized material things but bhagwan had a different kind of mindset but who are you living in a palace but what the hell you are doing here he taught that while eastern culture had spirituality western culture had hollow materialism In order for people to truly be complete and satisfied in their lives, they needed aspects of both, spirituality and materialism. Westerners looking for enlightenment, as you could imagine, loved this message. No one was asking them to sacrifice anything except maybe a few dollar bills along the way. They only had to transform their mindset and consider free love instead. These teachings attracted anyone wanting peace as well as successful intellectuals that didn't want to give up their lives either. Not to mention the teachings of Bhagwan also became incredibly popular in the early 80s when Americans in particular were disillusioned about the government lying to them during the Vietnam War. Trust in authority figures was low while the need to go find yourself and connect with nature was high. So it's no wonder people flocked to Bhagwan. He represented that specific need for change. Those that met him were in absolute awe with this leader. One young woman, Ma Anad Sheila, was only 16 years old when she first met him. So often, she and his other followers regard Bhagwan as a beautiful figure with a sort of glow or energy around him. Even in a lengthy documentary about the religion, he almost always is seen with his hands pressed together in a namaste sign, a peaceful smile on his face. He didn't claim to be the son of God. Hell, he didn't even claim to be special. All he said was, "I was asleep, now I am awake." But not everyone liked his teachings. In Pune, India, a man referred to as a Hindu fanatic threw a knife at him. This was on May 22, 1980, the day that Bhagwan and his followers realized that they needed to leave India to seek asylum elsewhere. and Sheila all grown up and his newly appointed secretary had the perfect place in mind Oregon their message seemed innocent enough love one another commune with nature all of that goodness yet these free loving communities soon became associated with the largest wiretapping immigration fraud and poisoning scandals in the United States And on today's episode of Dark Dives, we're going to try and find out what the hell happened to this cult supposedly built on peace and love and how it went so incredibly wrong. Each feeling has its own vibration. I am not special in any sense. 
the room of love should be full of the vibration i emphasize let sex be a playful i'm not claiming that i am the son of god i'm simply saying that i was asleep now in the federal court and it's going to remain in the federal court and we will prevail because the attorney general has no lawsuit her general is basis lawsuit on assumed facts normally they would do it for anybody if he was a chinese school they would do it within 5 minutes but because he's a religious leader and everybody's platform in this fascist area what's important to understand is that when bagwan's followers bought tens of thousands of acres of oregon land and started moving in this wasn't really that long after the jonestown massacre It's pretty reasonable that after an event like this, the citizens of a sleepy Oregon ghost town would be pretty concerned to see hundreds of foreign religious people all dressed in red moving in. But the Rajneeshas weren't doing anything wrong. They'd gone about everything legally. They purchased the land, purchased the homes in the neighboring town of Antelope, and they were permitted to register as their own town since they had the minimum amount of citizens needed. I used the lengthy Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country as one of my primary sources to see how this place was built and established. On the surface, it's quite impressive seeing all of them come together. Still, it all seemed too good to be true. Tensions were high. The ranchers and retirees in a conservative town of Antelope were uneasy around these strangers in red. Some waved their guns around, making vague or perhaps not so vague threats or even vandalized their property. The community carried around cameras filming interactions and making the older folks uneasy. They called it constant harassment. Eventually, when a filmmaker released footage of the Rajneesh's meditation sessions, the little community believed they had every reason to be furious and afraid. See, as former member Jane Stark or Ma Shanti B explains in the Netflix series, there are several stages to Bhagwan's meditation. One of them was a sort of breathing, almost like hyperventilating. And the next was to simply let go. Whatever happened, happened. Sometimes this letting go even turned out to be rough group sex, which to a traditional town of retirees was quite horrifying. And I mean, look, I watched the supposed group sex footage that scared this small town. And I will say that, yeah, it's pretty aggressive. I obviously cannot show it here because I'd fall into the demonetized abyss to never return, but it's, um, it's a lot. It's really a lot and it's intense. It's not really something I'd personally ever care to see in my lifetime, but um, there we are anyway. At the same time, everyone involved, as far as I know, also appears to be, and I believe is a consenting adult. And it's not as if the group was trying to push their beliefs onto anyone in that town. They don't want anyone breaking a hip after all, but Seriously, I don't think that this alone was really reason enough to try and run them out of town, especially when they were creating farmland, being environmentally friendly, sustainable, and only preaching peace. But the little sleepy town of Antelope did not see it that way. A long time citizen of Antelope, give me your impressions. I don't like anybody comes comes in and tries to take over a town, and that don't set with me. I believe there's there's one God, and there's only one God, and. Uh, you start bowing down to a man, why you're just letting Satan push you. They're run by satanic power. Get him out of here. They created a watchdog group, 1,000 Friends of Oregon, and heavily advocated against Bhagwan and his followers. 
As Bhagwan himself had taken a vow of silence, his secretary and spokesperson, Sheila, was also a target of their rage. But try as Antelope might to stop the Rajneeshas, even going so far as to try and vote to dissolve the town, believing that somehow they were better off not existing at all, the religious community banded together and outvoted them. It was their first victory. They had found a home here in Oregon and no one was going to take that away from them. That is of course, until someone did. In 1983, a member of a Muslim fundamentalist group bombed the Rajneesh Hotel in Portland, Oregon. Though thankfully there were no deaths, this has been considered the tipping point that made the Rajneeshes start to take a more militant approach. Sheila, speaking on behalf of Bhagwan, became more brutal in interviews, to the point where she was known for cursing on air and literally saying that their community enjoyed sex more than anyone else, and if you didn't like it, quote, tough titties. And it pissed her off. Thousand Friends of Oregon says that their intention is to see this place dismantled. Good, they can come. They're most welcome. I'll be right on the road. They need to drive over me. It's their choice. I will paint their bulldozers with my blood. I'll be proud to be under those bulldozers. Plenty of people considered her brash, rude, and nasty, while others say that she really didn't have much of a choice but to bring attention to this issue, to speak out, and of course, to speak loudly. Although the Oregonians weren't behind the bombing, violence had been done against Bhagwan's community. They needed to defend themselves by any means necessary, and yes, that entailed buying guns, learning to shoot, and seemingly withdrawing from the world around them. In time, Sheila actually became so hated that people started to call her Hitler, and the tensions rose even further, and Oregon citizens were left to wonder what this community was going to do. They defeated Antelope, so what was next? Sheila answered them simply. They were going to take over the whole of Wasco County. Even though the people in Wasco County, especially those in the town of Antelope, really didn't want Bhagwan and his followers around, their message was clear. They were here to stay. And with such a rising population, it only seems right that they have a few people representing them in politics. But how were they to get voters? The Rajneeshas needed more permanent members. They earned tens of millions of dollars and thousands upon thousands of visitors when hosting festivals. But in order to really have a say in Oregon, they needed more Oregonians. Sheila's solution was actually pretty genius. The Rajneeshas began hopping on buses and driving around the country and offering people experiencing homelessness a place to live. For many, it was a win-win. Those in Rajneesh Param had people who could vote on behalf of the community. And now people without homes had homes. As for those living in Antelope, they said that the Rajneeshas were bringing in, quote, street people that might be violent and they had no idea what the new members were capable of. There was real fear from those in Oregon that Rajneesh would have enough votes to take over Wasco County and that fear seemed truly justified. I do wanna insert a brief aside here. I I just wanna add that I'm not so sure that these homes were actually free for all. Although the Wild Wild Country documentary does seem to portray it that way, the New York Times actually reported in 1984 that about 1,500 of the 4,000 people they brought to the commune were actually paying $250 a month to live there. In today's money, just 
for the sake of making it more easily understandable, that's a little over $700 a month, which is enough for rent with roommates in some places, not, you know, having to be in a commune. Therefore, while they may have been trying to help others, it's not as if their actions can really be wholly considered selfless. There was money involved is the point that I'm getting to. Plus, not all of the 4,000 men and women that were brought in stayed. About 500 said that it wasn't for them and they either returned home or began living on the streets of Portland, Oregon instead. When Ma Prem Sunshine, a spokesperson, was asked about those that left, her response was also pretty cold. Quote, she called the men who have left Rajneesh Param lazy and said they were used to life on the streets. What's the difference if they're laying under a bridge in Portland or they're laying under a bridge in Chicago, she asked. And no, that's, ooh, that's not the right answer. Perhaps they simply didn't agree with your religion, the way you seem to worship Bhagwan, or maybe they aren't interested in the whole idea of free love and very, very frequent and open sex. Like truthfully, that's just not for everybody. And those that left the community have said as much, saying that it was just too chaotic for them. This phrasing about supposed laziness really bothers me. And again, it doesn't make me feel like the Rajneeshas were doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. Personally, it seems pretty clear that this was for one reason only, and that was to get new voters. If they were 18 years old, a citizen of the US, and lived in Wasco County for 20 days, then they had the right to vote. It was as simple as that. However, the fight against the Rajneeshas were about to escalate once again. See, a resident of Antelope, John Silvertooth Stewart, was taking his garbage to the city dump when he saw everything the Rajneesh Pram community threw in. And what he saw was interesting to say the very least. John spotted documents that said, shred this. He read papers about their arranged marriages to potentially get green cards for foreign members and notes from Ranjish's meetings. There was a vast array of crap, as he put it. And he brought this information to Dave Fraunmayer, the attorney general of Oregon. Between all this, Wasco County hit a tipping point. They didn't want the community to take over and seemingly in desperation, they did the unthinkable and they banned the formerly homeless members of the Rajneesh Param community from registering to vote. Their reasoning being that they suspected potential voter fraud and the legitimacy of the new registrations coming in. Look, does it feel a bit icky that Sheila was effectively using or exploiting the needs of people experiencing homelessness to win a vote? Yes, absolutely, it is gross. But does it also feel icky that the county literally said, no, we're actually gonna take away your right to vote? Also, yes, both parties here fought fire with fire and as you can probably expect, someone got burned. As Sheila and the follower I mentioned earlier, Shanti tells it, one of the new members became enraged. He was screaming, breaking things, and even grabbed Sheila by the neck. Rajneesh Param as a community was stunned. They were about meditation and free love, not crime and violence. So after sedating the man and leaving him outside of the community's boundaries, they decided that the way to handle this problem was by sedating all their new members. Every formerly homeless person that came to Rajneesh Pram received, unbeknownst to them, Haldol, a sedative, along with their evening beer. And that is incredibly fucked up. I mean, they claim to be all about this peaceful way of life and environmentalism. They have all these positive values, but then they drug people without their consent. I do also find it genuinely alarming how Sheila and Shanti act so casually about this within the documentary, speaking as if they just had to do this and it was some tragedy they couldn't control. Like, 
you were the ones that brought these people here and then you treat them like trash. It's so hypocritical how Sheila talks about giving homeless people respect and dignity when she offered them homes, but then as soon as they arrived, she's drugging them. As if this wasn't bad enough, things took a turn for the worse after that. Shanti, who was extremely close to Sheila at the time, accuses her of talking about killing people to get them out of the way. Apparently, Sheila would even volunteer Shanti to do it, saying that Shanti's a good shot or a good markswoman. Whatever the idea of taking someone down came up, just that kind of language was brought up. It was just assumed that her closest allies would kill for her. And although no deaths took place, strange incidents started happening. 750 salmonella cases came out of the Dallas, the largest city in Wasco County. Congressman Weaver insisted that it was the Rajneesh's fault, but with no evidence to back up his accusations, he looked quite foolish. In addition, Bhagwan himself started acting differently. The so-called Hollywood crowd took an interest in the community, and according to Sheila, it was this crowd that got him hooked on drugs, a mixture of laughing gas and Valium. The community was unraveling and unraveling quickly. The majority of their population couldn't vote. Their leader was not only on a years-long vow of silence, but supposedly on drugs too, according to Sheila anyway. And those that opposed them more than ever wanted ammunition to take them down. So it was ammunition that Charlie Turner, an attorney and investigative journalist in Oregon, tried to give. And... I'll be honest here, so there's a lot that happened in this case that it's really difficult to touch upon every little detail without just listing the events in like a six-hour series. So to keep you from just having an overwhelming slew of bullet points, I may miss a few minor details, and I do apologize in advance for that, but I do feel that the truly important thing worth understanding here is the feeling in the air, the absolute hatred that the Oregonians and Rajneeshas had for one another. I mean, they had a 93% voter turnout against the Rajneesh Param to ensure that they didn't have a representative. 93%. I have never heard of a voter turnout in the US so high in my life. Just for comparison, the most recent presidential election, 2020, had a record high turnout number of 67%, and that is still a very, very, very far cry from 93%. If you seriously needed any proof that the Rajneeshas were hated, I think that's pretty black and white. At every turn, Oregon citizens tried to eliminate them. Les came out with a 20-part series published by the Oregonian about why Bhagwan left India in the first place. He accused them of having millions of dollars in delinquent income and smuggling, while attorney Charlie Turner accused them of immigration fraud. Apparently, Rajneeshas from all over the world would marry ones that were born in the US to get their green cards, faking relationships when their religion never promoted marriage to begin with. One of Les's articles explained, quote, "'Former sannyasins, or someone that had given up materialism, said drug traffic was an indirect yet important source of donations to the movement in Pune, India. Court files on the ashram investigation and the Rajneesh Foundation's unsuccessful attempts to curb it contained a 1979 letter in which the investigator Randive set forth the citizen complaints that had prompted the inquiry. Disciples of the Ashriya Rajneesh are indulging in smuggling and dealing in opium and charas or hashish, the letter noted. 
It's important to understand that those in Antelope and nearby communities were reading this and truly believed that this is what their new neighbors were actually like, involved in drug smuggling, violent group sex, and skirting around the law. Truly, I don't know how many members of Rajneesh Param were aware of this history or how many were genuinely seeking some form of enlightenment, but the religion itself wasn't as clean and pure as they promoted, that's for sure. But, you know, on my little cynical opinions, is there any such thing as a pure religion? I don't think so, but I digress. Throughout the Netflix documentary and miniseries, it's said that Rajneesh was a religious leader. That's how he actually got his visa in the first place. Turner attempted to argue that Bhagwan shouldn't be considered a leader as he had taken such a lengthy years-long vow of silence and therefore was not upholding his duties. But in my opinion, it's not his lack of public talks that made Bhagwan a poor example. It's the truly disturbing activities that happened right under his nose. And up until this point, I did feel sympathy for the Rajneeshas. They were stripped of the right to vote and treated with such hostility just for buying land near a ghost town, all while being accused of crimes without evidence like the Salmonella outbreak. But the Bhagwan followers escalated things drastically. From the sounds of it, Sheila, upset that Bhagwan was taken in by the Hollywood crowd and that her plan to gain voters had failed, took things to a new and very violent extreme. The county's planning office was set on fire. Several members were sent chocolate that was poisoned. Every formerly homeless person of the Rajneesh Param was kicked out, flooding the nearby unprepared areas of Oregon with people that had nowhere to go, no resources, and no way home. But this wasn't even the worst of it. Apparently, Sheila wiretapped Bhagwan's room and overheard him telling his physician that he was looking for a painless way to die. Sheila naturally did not want this to happen, so she told Shanti that they needed to kill the physician before she could kill Bhagwan, and Shanti agreed. She pricked Bhagwan's doctor with a syringe in an attempt to murder the man at Sheila's instruction. The pair of them, along with a few of Sheila's other close followers, left shortly afterward. Though they make it seem like they simply suddenly realized that the community had become corrupt and toxic and they wanted to get out, I don't actually think that Sheila and Shanti deserve that much credit. They had just tried to take a man's life. I believe they actually fled because they're cowards and they knew it was a matter of time before they were caught. But something else happened when Sheila left. Bhagwan broke his vow of silence after years and what he was telling the public and authorities certainly caught the attention of many. He was telling everyone that the whole thing was Sheila's idea. And before we continue on to take a look at the fallout and what happened to this community as they started to unravel, let's take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor. And hey, do you wish maybe there weren't ads in this episode? Do you wish maybe you could get this episode a little early? Maybe even bonus episodes? Well, then perhaps you should check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Illuminati. We've got so many great tiers, a fantastic, wonderful community to chat with, monthly Q&As, letters from Casper if you're really cool, and of course, bonus episodes. So make sure to check that all out at patreon.com slash Illuminati. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned literally anything at this point, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, of course, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it made perfect sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. 
They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet savings directly to you. I've been using Mint Mobile now for over two and a half years and I've absolutely loved the service. I don't really have issues with dropped calls. My texts all go through. I can receive images, listen to social media. Like I can do everything that you can do with any of the larger, more overpriced phone service providers. And I'm saving a ton. I've mentioned it before. I pay for Mint Mobile's unlimited everything plan, which is 30 bucks a month. So it starts at 15 and caps out at 30 bucks a month. And that is phenomenal savings. No matter which plan you pick, considering the alternative is like 120, 140 bucks a month, something like that. So I am so good with saving almost hundred bucks a month by using Mint Mobile. And Mint Mobile is going to give you the best rate, whether you're buying for one or for a family. And at Mint, families start at just two lines. And all plans are going to come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number with all your contacts, or you can get a new phone and a new number like I did. So to get your new wireless plan starting at just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, make sure you go to mintmobile.com slash darkdives. That's mintmobile.com slash darkdives. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash darkdives. cannot be corrupted by, by power. But how come Sheila and her gang was corrupted by power? Sheila, I can tell you, certainly she had no interest in meditation, in my way of life, my philosophy. Her interests were totally different. The poison chocolate, the fire to the planning office, kicking out homeless people, all of it came from Sheila, at least according to Bhagwan. His entire goal had been enlightening people. Sheila was the more money-hungry, power-hungry one, and she was the one on drugs, not him. Before, the divide came from the people in Antelope versus the Rajneeshas. Now there was a divide between those that remained loyal to Bhagwan and those that agreed with Sheila, who felt that the community had turned toxic. While the remaining followers said that they wanted to work with police to get to the bottom of the poisoning cases, as it turned out, the salmonella from the outbreak earlier was identical to the salmonella produced in their Rajneesh Param lab, their cooperation also had a limit. As it became clear the US government wanted to charge Bhagwan, he fled. The chase didn't last very long. He was caught when his plane landed to refuel and he was arrested for immigration fraud. At the end of it all, that was really all the evidence they had the sham marriages for green cards. It was everything else, the attempted murder, fraud, wiretapping, and things of that nature that were pinned on Sheila. And I have to say, when I heard how many thousands of people were part of Rajneesh Param, I did expect the founder to be, well, worse. Don't get me wrong, Bhagwan did have about 90 Rolls Royces and certainly enjoyed the wealth he was gifted by others, like his supposed you know, Hollywood crowd that Sheila mentioned but he certainly didn't seem nearly as evil as your stereotypical cult leader either. I haven't heard any stories about him telling his followers to give up things they enjoy for him, to harm others for him, or to commit any crimes for him. All of that type of language did come from Sheila, but she was supposed to speak for Bhagwan, so how aware was he? Truthfully, I'm not sure, and I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. Once all was said and done though, Bhagwan was deported to India. 
Rather than fight the immigration charges, he went home where he still has supporters waiting with open arms. There, he also took on a new name, Osho, and died a few years later in 1990. Sheila, on the other hand, received four years for her part in the crimes that took place in Rajneeshpuram. Shanti received 10 years for attempted murder. Some former followers say that they can respect why Sheila had to lash out and why she was so brash and aggressive at times. They were up against a lot, be it bigotry or even more dangerous forces. So Sheila needed to show that she was unafraid. But on the other hand, when you're literally cultivating salmonella in a lab and telling interviewers, quote, everyone gets sick, why should I feel remorse? Then it's also kind of hard to have sympathy for her too. The series about this community, cult, or whatever you want to call it, was very detailed and allowed a lot of firsthand accounts as well as footage from the 80s to tell the story. It does put a massive spotlight on Sheila, which as a former Rajneesh claims, her ego surely loved. Plus, although Sheila was portrayed as running things to a certain extent, it's not as if many hundreds and hundreds of Rajneesh Pram citizens agreed with her or were even actually aware of what she was doing in the first place. A farmer that lived there for four years, Rashid Maxwell told The Cut that, quote, none of us had any clue what was going on. Even at 80 years old, he still attributes his happiness and feelings of freedom to Osho. For Hira Bluestone, who lived in Rajneesh Puram as a child, she remembers things a little differently. School was sort of optional for her, and though she had a lot of freedom and responsibility, there was verbal and mental abuse at times too. She recalled, quote, I would say there was neglect of the kids there only by virtue of the fact that the children lived separately in a group kid's house and there were weeks when some kids wouldn't see their parents. Any community has its flaws and it's clear that Rajneesh Pram had theirs. The lack of separation between religion and the town was one brought up in the documentary. Their schooling being optional is another and Bhagwan was effectively worshiped by everyone else, which never seems healthy. So yes, The community, like most cults and extreme religious groups, are far from perfect, even if some saw it as paradise or heaven on earth. But was it the evil cult that Oregonians really thought it was? Again, I'm not so sure the answer, like most things in life, is really black and white. For some, I do think the mindset was dangerous that some of the folks in Rajneesh Param held. The community wasn't about meditation and peace, but about taking over, changing others, and superiority. I think that mindset is really scary. But there were other members interviewed that, at least in my opinion, were really just looking for like-minded people to build a town with and just live simple, happy lives. They weren't there to hurt anyone. They didn't want to hurt anyone. And maybe that's why some of Rajneesh's teachings still live on and are still practiced today because the messages, those of meditation anyway, are still so powerful that they permeate far beyond Oregon or the supposed cult or community that once lived there. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm ending today's dark dive. I really wanna thank you so much for joining me for today's episode and taking a look at this very interesting community or cult, however you want to define it. I'm not 100% sure what to call them myself, but I wanna thank you for sticking with me all the same. As always, thank you so much for joining me to the end of the episode. I really do appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye. US residents by marrying Americans. Then another bombshell that a former commune member now seeking federal witness protection 
told the FBI that Sheila and others talked over assassination plans against Turner and Oregon Attorney General Dave Fronmeyer. North Carolina jail. A similar protest was staged in West Berlin, and 200 Rajneeshis showed up in both Hamburg and Munich. They went to the U.S. consulates in those cities to demand his release. The West German sannyasins told news conferences here... Excellent job of blocking the road. Couldn't have done it any better. What's the verdict, Sheila? What's the verdict? Verdict is that I'm glad that the man's life is safe. And I don't give a shit about who, what people think about cynical uh, approach. Is this a They're joke or not? Sick. Are you joking to me? No, I'm not joking. I'm serious. This is my few people's lives is concerned. I beg your pardon. I said your godlike figure is I happy to be I beg your a pardon. Whoever you happen to be. Well, is he a pimp or is he not? You know, you're a worthless man. You, you must know pimps because you must be going to prostitute yourself. and must be in touch with pimps. You just said that if people were working at prostitutes...